The practical lesson for this morning is this. We can't judge what we see happening here on earth like God can judge it. God's dealing with Israel, which we're going to look at this morning, and God's dealing with man, we see something, something visually appears to us, and we think that we've got it figured out. And I'm telling you, God's ways are higher. And it may seem very evident to appearance in Romans chapter number 11 that God hath cast away His people. But Paul is very clearly going to demonstrate to us through the Holy Spirit's inspiration through the entire chapter that God is not done with His people and that nation. And to show the mistake that people make by living by sight and by making conclusions based only upon what they see, Paul takes Elijah the Old Testament prophet, and he brings him to the witness stand to teach all of us a lesson. And we are going to see that Elijah made the same mistake that probably most of us make in our own personal lives. Romans chapter 11, let's get into the text. Verse number 2 we are on. Bible says, God hath not cast away his people which he foreknow. You see that? His people, he foreknow. They may be, in, in, the, in, the, in the midst of this, uh, of this text, they may be presently rejected, but future, they have not been cast off. It's, it's, a, it's double proof. He calls them his people. And this foreknowing, we talked about this in depth prior. We won't do that this morning. But this is a national view. This is Israel, God's chosen nation that we are looking at. He is going to be their king. And subjects of a king may reject the king. <laughs> okay? But the king doesn't reject his subjects. And this is the big draw back the lens view I'd like us to get this morning. And then it goes on to say, oh boy, this would be real hard to understand. What you not? <laughs> and people, man, this King James Bible, it's so hard to read. I'm not even going to explain what it means. I'm just going to say this. People come up with all types of words that aren't even words nowadays. A couple years ago, I learned what ghosted meant. <laughs> <It's> a, <laughs> you know, you just ignore somebody. Oh, okay, new word. Uh, the, Anybody here, bestie? That's supposed to mean your best friend. These, these new words, man, that's your bestie. Yep, what's a bestie? And they tell, oh, okay, now I get it. They just make words up and it sticks. Um, and my, my wife uses this term for me. You're hangry. You know, that means people that get angry when they get hungry. <laughs> but we just make words up and they stick. That's a popular word nowadays. Anybody here, goat? Man, that guy's the goat. You hear that term? Yeah, he's the greatest of all time. People have these words that they make up. And then, you know, we all know the popular one today. Because, you know, we're all on YouTube watching these viral videos. You know, oh, that's a Karen. <laughs> you know, it's someone that... Look, they make all these words up. And nobody knows what in the world they mean until they're told and explained. 
It's just odd to me that people want to throw out the King James Bible because they wrote, they read, what ye not? Like, you can't figure that out. It's the oddest thing. It's just anything but go with God's Word. What ye not? It's not hard. It's not hard. Amen. <laughs> God's not trying. He's our bestie. <laughs> He's not trying to trick us. Okay, what you not, what you not, it's, it's not hard. What the scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel. Now that's a strange phrase because when you study out prayer, intercession to God is typically for people. This is a very interesting phrase in the, this passage of scripture because it says, Elias, we're going to look at in a minute, he maketh intercession to God, but against Israel. And that's going to be key as we start to understand this. Look at verse number three. He's saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? We're going to see that in a minute. I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bow, bowed to the knee to the image of Baal. One of Israel's greatest prophets is Elijah. Turn to 1 Kings because we're going to see the nation is in despair. Elijah is pleading against Israel because a flood of unbelief has just come over his land. And in Elijah's view, that nation is ruined because of what Elijah sees. And Elijah didn't see what God wanted him to see until God, of course, reveals it. But God is going to, he's going to assure Elijah, he's going to assure Elijah of something very, very important. First Kings chapter 19, let's turn there and let's see if we can get some more understanding. We're going to start in verse number 10 of First Kings chapter number 19. And the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter number 19, verse number 10, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. And they have. They've thrown down thine altars. And they certainly have. And slain thy prophets with the sword. And they have. It's a cross-reference right out of Romans 11 takes us right here to 1 Kings 19. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. You know how people today, they'll say, man, it's just never been this bad. See if you say that after we get done this lesson with Elijah. I'm telling you, it's one of the darkest days at, at that time in history, when it gets to Elijah, that is at the pinnacle of the darkest days of that nation. It's an absolute horrible time. Why? 
Because the prophets of Baal have a controlling influence over all of the people. And all Elijah sees is that the nation is just, oh, everybody's following after them. It's only me, Lord. And God has to help Elijah out like he has to help us out. So he says in verse 9, I, even I only, am left. And you know what Elijah did that's, that's a great example? He stood alone for the testimony of his God. And I don't want to in any way diminish that important truth because I would encourage you, stand alone for God even if it's just you. And Elijah did that. And you may be doing that. But even Elijah, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, can make mistakes. And we're going to draw out this mistake as the text goes on. And the mistake ultimately that Elijah made was this. He was short-sighted because he was only looking at what he saw. Let's continue to read and we will see what, how God answers Elijah. And we will do some backtracking as well. But I'd like to get through this cross-reference passage. Verse 11. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord and behold... The Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break it in pieces, the rocks, before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a still small voice, and it was so, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of that cave, and behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What dost thou hear, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. I wonder why. Because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. And everything he says is right. They have done that. It's a wicked nation. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness to Damascus. And when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shall thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shapheth, and Abimelech, shall thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. We're not going to get into all of that now because I want to get to this point in this verse. He says in verse 18, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. You remember reading that in Romans 11? Why is Paul in Romans 11 using Elijah and these passages as a cross-reference example? What is he trying to prove? 
Paul is trying to prove the remnant. And what Elijah thought was this. It's just me and you, God. This nation is sunk. And Elijah was happy to stand up as God's mouthpiece. He was courageous enough to stand alone. But he thought it was just him and God. Why? Because of what he saw. And when Romans 11 starts, when it opens up, Romans 11, we saw last Sunday that Paul personally was an example that God has not cast away his people. He's an Israelite. He's saved. But now, Paul, or uh, yeah, Paul under the Holy Spirit's inspiration, goes back to the Old Testament and shows Elijah. And he thought differently than Paul thought. Paul's trying to help us understand that there is a remnant. Elijah, back in his day, he didn't think there was a remnant. He thought, it's just me and you, God. This nation's done. <laughs> so Paul has to go back and show that Elijah has the same problem that Jews today and even us today may have. It's just us and us and it's just me and you, God. Everybody else is gone, gone woke. <laughs> Elijah's the Old Testament example that there is a remnant. And there always has been a remnant. And so God rebukes Elijah for thinking that it's only him. And you and I should not be so proudful to think it's just us and God. Thank the Lord that we go out and do public ministry. I believe all churches should do that. Amen. I do. I don't, if you're a New Testament church, you call yourself that and you don't go out publicly somehow, some way, and you don't do that, I believe, you just, I believe it's just dead wrong. I don't know how you can exist as a church, call yourself a church and not go out in the highways and byways. I don't know how you can do it. But with that said, we need to be careful that just because we do go out, we don't get the attitude that Elijah had. It's just me and you, God. Hold on, cowboy. Hold on. Hold on. Rain that thing in. God told Elijah, I've got 7,000 there, buddy. 7,000. That's the great prophet Elijah. There's always been a remnant. The caution for us is we see something publicly and we make a conclusion. We all do it. You look at this platform of politics and we see, man, however many are coming to the rally and we measure that as success. And we look at some of these big meetings. Oh, man, there's all these people going to these big meetings. And, and we look at the numbers as somehow a sign of success. What appears to us isn't always what God sees. And the warning for us is we have to be careful of only using our eyes to see something and conclude. And if we're not careful, we will know the verse, oh yeah, we should live by faith. Yet everything that happens in our life, everything that we see in our daily lives, everything that we hear from other people, we then start with, well, this means that, and this means that, and this means that, and this means that, and this means that. And if we're not careful, we'll be like Elijah. We're the only ones left. It must be this because I saw that. That is not the way Christians 
should be living. It's a dark day for Israel in Elijah's day. But there were still 7,000 that were loyal. And it's why Paul says, go to Romans 11. Watch what he says. He says, verse number 5, even so, that at this present time also, we're not in Elijah's day, right now, also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. This is a national scope. It's a national view. We talked about this before. Individuals make up a nation. But God's foreknowledge and God's election regarding that nation, you can't do anything to stop it, neither can I. However, over the course of time, individuals live and die. And then those individuals within, those na within that nation, they have to make decisions on whether or not they're going to trust God or not. We won't go back there because we've already handled that issue. But go to Hebrews 11. I know you all know this but I think it's important to take a side trip. Hebrews 11. Because one of the worst mistakes I have made in my life isn't knowing that Christians shouldn't drink or do drugs or do all this bad stuff that we know that people shouldn't do and none of us do. My biggest mistake is this. Seeing something and making a decision and thinking my decision's right. And I've been wrong so many times. Now when I say that, I don't mean for me or for you to just throw your brain out the window. Okay? <laughs> I'm not going down that road. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? We need to make judgment calls and we need to do that righteously. I'm not saying do one at the expense of the other. But we do need to find a biblical balance because both truths are there. And we must recognize those two truths and try to live our life in accord to it. Hebrews 11, verse number 1. I'm going to tell you why this is important. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Am I right, brother? Amen. We think what we see. We see what we see. It appears the way it appears. Except faith isn't that. Uh, look at verse number 3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. You don't go down the lows, order a material list, and then start building the world. That's not what God did. And if your faith in God is based on seeing this created world, trusting in, well, th there were some materials that were taken by God and He made the world. No, that's wrong. Our faith is based on the belief that God spoke it into existence. Do you believe that? That is faith without sight. That is faith by just believing what God said not on having to have a required physical evidence to look at. Does that make sense? 
That's faith. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Do you believe that? Amen. I do. Amen. You do. Yes. By the word of the Lord, the heavens uh, were the heavens made. Do you believe in an eternal God? Do you believe that that eternal God made the heaven and the earth? That's faith. That's faith. Thank God for the folks that write books on here's some evidence of God. Praise the Lord for it. I've read them. Lee Strobel's a great author. I'm not saying anything against people that write evidentially based books. It's great. But that is not the core of our faith. It's belief in what God said. That is faith and that's how we walk. And go back to Romans 11 because here we are, you know what? Go back to 1 Kings. God rebukes Elijah because he's safeguarding his testimony and saying, look, there's a remnant. I am not done with that nation. Now look at, why in the world would Elijah think like that? Look at 1 Kings 16. Let me show you something. 1 Kings 16. Look at verse 30 in 1 Kings 16. Let's go back a little bit and understand what Elijah's dealing with. 1 Kings 16, look at 30. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were what? Before him. Now, I believe the text. Do you believe the text? Everybody before Elijah, it may have been bad, but it's never been this bad. It may have been wicked, it's never been this wicked. So, when we get to the point of Elijah's on the scene, Ahab, he's got to deal with this guy. And he did evil above all that were before him. And you know what Ahab's problem was? He married a pagan. And if there's one name that mamas know that they're not going to name their child, their little girl, it's Jezebel. Have you ever met a mom at PTA that, oh yeah, my daughter's Jezebel? No, no, you haven't. Why? Because of this. <laughs> because of this. Now, I don't know if that's the same case now in public school, but we'll just leave that one alone for the sake of well, sanity and time. But he married a pagan. And she got him influenced into pagan living. Young people, whatever you do, don't marry a pagan. You picking up what God's Word's putting down? We're talking about a time in Old Testament history where it's never been worse. Why? Because pagans have taken over the influence of that nation. That's what Elijah's dealing with. Go to 1 Kings 18. The other thing he's dealing with is a famine. Verse number 1, that came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, 
and there was a sore famine in Samaria. Now, those that are being true to God are being persecuted. But this famine, the physical famine isn't the problem. The famine is the spiritual condition of the nation, folks. We're, this is a perfect time to be in this passage of Scripture. Tom and I were talking about this before Sunday school. When's the rain going to come? <laughs> I mean, crop season's over, but good night. It hasn't rained. It's dry. And if we're not careful, we'll look at that and say, yeah, we got a famine in our, we got a drought coming. We got a, and we will miss what God wants us to see as New Testament Christians. That's not the real famine. The real famine is the spiritual condition of the hearts of the people. And that's the same famine that's going on in the nation during Elijah's day. Now watch what happens. Here's the third problem that Elijah's dealing with. And Ahab called Obadiah. Now this isn't Obadiah the prophet, this is another Obadiah, which was the governor of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. Well wait, why is he the governor of Ahab's house? <laughs> Elijah's frustrated at this. Obadiah, on one hand, feared the Lord. Obadiah, on the other hand, he's working for Ahab. And now it goes on, for it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and with water. He's working for Ahab. He's getting money and praise the Lord. He's hiding some people in a cave that are secret believers in God. He himself is hiding and in secret. And praise the Lord, we need some Obadiahs that are ready to hide some people and are ready to use their wages that they're getting from Ahab to feed them and give them water. But they're in a cave. Now think about that for a minute if you're Elijah. You guys are hiding in a cave? Obadiah, you're working for Ahab and I'm out here on my own standing for God and you're secretly getting money from Ahab and bringing it to these... Come on! When are you going to stand with me? Can you understand why Elijah's a bit, well, upset? <laughs> Tell me that's not our day. Do you know a lot of good Christians who aren't going to do nothing for God? They're not stepping out and doing nothing for God. They're going to hide in their house and not do a thing. Are they our enemy? No. They're an Obadiah. Obadiah is not a mean man and he's not God's man. He feared the Lord, just not enough to go out in public. So he hid in the cave because he didn't want to stand alone with Elijah. And Elijah is upset at that. And I bet you, you would, and I would be as well. Verse number five, And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land, unto all fountains of waters, and all into all brooks. Peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and mules alive, that we lose not all the beasts. Obadiah's helping Ahab do what conservative Republican voting people do in the United States. They vote to save horses, save the animals. Now, millions of babies are being aborted, but Obadiah is in league with Ahab, helping him to save his horses. 
He has no problem helping Ahab, but he won't help Elijah. Not publicly. Not publicly. He won't step out. And Elijah's frustrated. It's the same thing. We are more concerned about helping this world do conservative things than we are about saving God's people from worshiping Baal. And so you know what Elijah's doing? He's trying to rescue that nation and say, hey, quit worshiping Baal. And he's out there standing by himself. And Obadiah's out helping Ahab save the horses. He's frustrated. God's going to rebuke him though. He's going to rebuke him. Now, do you see everything that, everything that Elijah is seeing? Don't you conclude the same way? <laughs> I do. I see it play out and I'm like, you got to be kidding me, Lord. you got to be kidding me. Look at verse 16, or verse 6 rather. So they divide the land between them, the pass throughout. Ahab went one way by himself and Obadiah another way by himself. Now, once they're separated, that's a good thing because watch what happens. And as Obadiah was in the way, behold, Elijah met him and knew him and fell on his face and said, Art thou my Lord, Elijah? And he answered him, I am. Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. You know what Elijah tells Obadiah? Stop. Stop it with I'm your Lord. Your Lord's Ahab. And your Lord's always been Ahab. You're saving his horses and you're secretly hiding with other secret uh, believers in, in, in a cave and you won't step out here. Don't call me your Lord. Ahab's your Lord. He calls him out. Here's what I want you to go tell Ahab. Elijah's here. Hallelujah. Praise God. You know what some of us need to do? Take Elijah's attitude and say, you know what? You go tell those prophets of Baal. You go tell, you go tell Ahab. You go tell any of these wicked people that are in rule. You go tell them, Lord's here. It's basically what he's saying. Man, that's powerful. Look at verse number nine. And he said, what have I sinned? That thou wouldest deliver thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? You know what Obadiah is saying to Elijah? Come on, you're going to say I'm sinning? Really? You're going, to say, you're going to make that accusation? Watch, let's continue to read. See how this plays out. As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said he is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation that they found thee not. And now, and now, Thou sayest, Go, tell thy Lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from thee, that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee whither I know not. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. But I, thy servant, fear the Lord from my youth. Was it not told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord, how I hid an hundred men of the Lord's prophet by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And that's why he says, oh, you're saying I'm sinning? Come on, Elijah. I'm hiding people in a cave to keep them alive and I'm using the money that I get from Ahab to feed them. 
Now you've got to admit, if you're Elijah, that would be frustrating to you. Because Elijah's the only one out there. But, on the other hand, you've got to admit, we need some Obadiahs. Obadiah is trying to keep some people alive. But Elijah's frustrated because he won't go out and stand with them. And so this is playing out. And the frustration of Elijah starts to build. Look at verse number 17. Let's read to 17, rather, so we can get all of this. I'd like to read all of it. And now thou sayest, Go, tell thy Lord, Behold, Elijah is here, and he shall slay me. And Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts liveth, before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, And Ahab went to meet Elijah. And now things heat up. We know the story. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? They finally meet up, Ahab and Elijah. And Ahab blames Elijah. He says, No, nah, it's your fault. This is why Israel's in trouble. But it isn't his fault. It's not his fault at all. Verse number 18, And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, and that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, 450. The prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. Now you want to see what else is frustrating. Verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Cowards! Cowards. If I was Elijah, I'd be fired up. This idea, well, you know, if you don't have nothing nice to say, it's best to just keep quiet. There's a place for that. There is. There is. I, I, I need to take heed to that advice, amen. Amen, amen, and amen. We all do, right? Sometimes it's best to just... Whoop. That is not this. Folks, they have a chance to stand up and say something for the Lord. But they don't say anything. I get frustrated just like Elijah. There's an outreach to go to. There's doors to knock. There's people to talk to. Who's ready to go? And not a word. Elijah's frustrated, and rightfully so. They don't say anything. Verse 22, Then said Elijah unto the people, I, here he goes again, even I only remain a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. 
Elijah's willing to stand up. He says it again. It's me and you, God. It's me and you. Look at verse 27. And it came to pass at noon. All this plays out. It comes to pass. Guess what Elijah does in verse number 27? Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking or he is pursuing or he is in a journey or poor adventure he sleepeth. He and must be awakened. I'm telling you, I don't blame Elijah. He is mocking the God, those false gods of Baal. And this idea we're supposed to kind of like, you know, walk on our toe tips around paganism is a false nomer. Elijah is mocking them. And he's standing up for God. And there's a time for that. And when you have a whole nation that's given over to idolatry, we need some Elijahs that are going to step up. It isn't wrong. God never rebuked Elijah for mocking those false gods. There's a place for that, folks. And Elijah is, is the example. Now, 28, and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives. Anybody throughout all the Bible that cuts themselves is always possessed with the devil. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we see it, right? The man in the graveyard, the man in the tombs, possessed with the devil. What's he doing? He's cutting himself. This whole season right now, what does it bring alive? Death and these people cutting themselves and their blood, all that. Anytime it showed up, somebody in the Bible cutting themselves, always possessed with the devil. It's not a good thing. This is what he's dealing with. Are we dealing with that in our day? Amen, we are. Amen. Amen. Look at verse number 35. And the water ran around about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. Now, isn't that interesting? Because if we're in the middle of a famine, what are you going to hold on to most? <laughs> water. <laughs> Elijah's pouring water in the, in the midst of a famine. Now, that's a guy that's on fire for God. That's pretty good. Uh, look at one more other thing I want to point out to you. Uh, how many? Look at verse 31. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob unto whom the, Lord, whom the word of the Lord came saying, Israel shall be thy name. Israel shall be thy name. Huh. How many stones did he take? 12. He didn't take one just for him. This is in God's inspired word. You know who God has on his mind? That nation. That nation. You know who Elijah had on his mind? Him. Is he standing for God? He is. He is. I want to be careful because I'm no Elijah. <laughs> I am in the way that this is going to play out for the one rebuke he gets from God. Twelve stones. And then he says, Israel shall be thy name and with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed and here's what's also interesting go down to verse number 36 and it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said Lord God of Abraham Isaac and of Israel, Israel. why didn't he say Jacob Isaac's got two sons, Esau, Jacob, and Esau. 
And Jacob and Esau, they don't believe God. Jacob and Esau live their life. They don't believe God, except one day when Jacob does have faith in God. Can I get a witness? Amen. He has faith in God. And Israel is the name that God used for Jacob when he believed God, when he had faith in God. And you know what shows up right here in 1 Kings chapter number 19? Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. He's got that nation on his mind and he's got that remnant of faith. Faith, faith, faith. It's not Jacob, it's Israel. I've got a remnant and I always have had a remnant. Elijah. And by the time we get to chapter 19, we're going to close here. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and with all how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me and more also. If I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die. Here comes Jezebel. Now, I don't know about you, but I've thought about that a couple of times if Kamala gets in. <laughs> All of a sudden, Biden, Ahab's out, and here comes Jezebel. Now, I don't know if that's the mocking part, and I get a pass on that or not, but here comes Jezebel, and now Elijah's like, you know what, just kill me. <laughs> I don't want to deal with her. Didn't he, <laughs> didn't he just wrought a great victory for the Lord? He did. He did. I like to think of myself, and you probably do as well, as the Elijah in chapter 18. <laughs> but in, in reality, we're really the Elijahs of chapter number 19. Because look at verse number 9, what happens. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said unto him, What dost thou hear, Elijah? You were just frustrated because Obadiah is hiding in a cave, Elijah. And you know where he ends up in chapter number 19? The same place that he was frustrated about Obadiah going to. And Elijah ends up there. Now, isn't that something? The Christians that aren't doing anything for God and that frustrates you, may I remind you that when the trump sounds, they're going up with you. And I don't want to encourage anyone to do less for God. I want to encourage you to do more for God. But those that you and I think aren't doing more for God, if they're truly born again, they're going to go up to the same heaven that we're going to. And God rebukes Elijah, and Elijah gets a hold of it. And Paul, in Romans 11, goes back to show that there's a remnant. In other words, this thing's bigger than just you and I standing for God. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture. Just because that somebody isn't as tough and as bold as you are, 
or as tough and as bold as you think they should be, that does not mean they don't belong to God. And God rebukes Elijah. You're not the only one standing up for me. You're not the only one, Elijah. And he says in verse number 18, Yet I have left me 7,000 in Israel, all the needs which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. But they're not doing anything. They belong to the Lord. Maybe they're not doing anything now. Well, they're not committed. And they didn't want to commit. And they're nowhere to be found. They belong to the Lord. They belong to the Lord. Let's finish in Romans 11 and then we'll close out in prayer. Romans 11. Verse 2, God hath not cast away His people which He foreknew. Wot ye not what the Scripture saith of Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed down thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so then, at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. God is not done with that nation. Paul shows throughout the Old Testament there's always been a remnant. There always will be a remnant and God has not cast away His people. There will be a future remnant.